thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. It's time to kick your shoes off, put your heels up, and listen to how to live your best barefoot lifestyle with your host, the barefoot podiatrist, Paul Thompson. Hello and welcome back to the Barefoot Movement Podcast. I'm the Barefoot Podiatrist, Paul Thompson, and I have with me today a very special guest by the name of Dr. Tam Nguyen. He's a vascular and endovascular surgeon here in the Wollongong and Shellhaven region. So I wanted to get Tam on to uh, have a chat and explain the importance of our vascular system and how it affects our lower limb and our feet. So there's a lot of times that we don't really think about um, our vascular system until there's an issue, and we will talk about some of the uh, issues as well, but I thought it'd be great to get on and have a chat about how we can prevent um, seeing Dr. Tam in the future, <laughs> ideally, <laughs> by looking after ourselves. So welcome along, Dr. Tam. Nice to have you here. It's a pleasure to, to be here, Paul, and thanks for inviting me um, to the podcast and, uh, and having a chat. I've been wanting to learn of you for a long time, so it's actually quite exciting that I can finally pick your brain and learn how to help my clients more but also help look after my health and my family's health more so yeah i really appreciate you being here so just to start off if you want to just give us a a brief outline of um, what it is you do so for people who don't know what a vascular or endovascular surgeon is if you want to have a little chat about um, what that is um, what type of conditions you would you know usually see and treat um, that'd be that'd be a great place to start i think yeah, so um, as you mentioned, I'm a vascular and endovascular surgeon. Um, and so the two titles come from vascular surgery, which is essentially specialising in the vessels in your body, so on arteries and veins. So we essentially operate on every part of the body except for the heart and the brain. So the heart goes to the cardiothoracic surgeons and the brain goes to the neurosurgeons. But we essentially operate on every other part of the body. And the endovascular kind of came in because over the last probably 10, 20 years, we've been doing more minimally invasive surgery, so more, more keyhole surgery. And that's got significant benefits because a lot of our patients do have significant other medical history. Um, and so um, and so open the big open surgery may not be most beneficial for them. And so in order for us to be able to treat a, a larger kind of base of patients, we've, we've been doing a lot of minimally invasive surgery. So that's where endovascular surgery comes from. Um, being a vascular surgeon and endovascular surgeon, obviously, uh, I believe that the uh, the blood vessels are, are very important in our, in our body. Um, and, uh, and, so, um, and so essentially with uh, if, 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 if um, organs or, or tissue don't get an adequate blood supply, they essentially die off. So so hence that, that that's why I feel that uh, the area that I specialize in is, is is very important. Yeah, I mean without blood flow we're in trouble, right? <laughs> it's kind of makes yeah. sense that <laughs> that we need that part of our uh, health system to be flowing well. Um, so typically with vascular like surgery, what are the common conditions you would would be treating and seeing um, with clients on a regular basis? So essentially, when smoking used to be significantly prevalent in Australia, and it still is in many parts of, of the world, such as Italy and Asia, 
particularly in in Australia, in Australia, where the you know seventies, eighties, uh, smoking had a high uh, association with causing peripheral vascular disease. So peripheral arterial disease is whereby there is narrowings or significant blockages in the arteries, and so there's compromise to blood supply. Um, so that was by far the biggest risk factor back in the day of what caused significant damage to our arteries. However, there's been a significant shift, and with the significant prevalence of diabetes, um, that seems to be our biggest risk factor for for arterial disease. And there's um, as the the rates of smoking have gone down, unfortunately, um, the rates of diabetes have has significantly increased, and so. Um, there's been, you know, now more than ever, there's been a significant uh, need for, for, for the vascular surgeon. And so um, it's very, um, very, un- very unusual for us to, us to, to see a patient uh, without diabetes these days. That's almost one of the first questions I ask a patient who presents to me uh, with a history of potentially uh, damage to their arteries is whether they're a diabetic. Particularly also, I was once, uh, when I started, at, at, I work at, uh, I cover, as you mentioned, the, the kind of Illawarra and Shoalhaven area. And um, there was a, a, a map that was shown to me when I first started in the area about the prevalence of diabetes in New South Wales. And our area actually has the high, one of the highest prevalence of, of uh, diabetes in all of New South Wales. So... Um, so, um, yeah, it's a definitely uh, kind of a significant risk factor in our area. Mm, so how does diabetes impact on the like, vascular system and the arteries? So with, uh, with diabetes, um, uh, particularly, um, well, f- first of all, there's, uh, there's several factors with, with diabetes. Diabetes have, one, a high association with uh, peripheral neuropathy. So what that means is that they have poor sensation to their feet. And secondly, um, they have an increased risk of of narrowings or hardenings of their arteries just with the nature of their, their condition. And so when these two factors come into play, the diabetic has repetitive trauma to their feet because of poor sensation, mm. then that would develop an ulceration to their foot. And because they then develop an ulceration and they've got compromised blood supply to their area, that will then uh, won't allow that ulcer to heal because we require a significant, good, significant amount of blood to get to the area to heal the wound. And if that's not being met, then the ulcer then will remain stagnant. And then the third factor with diabetes is that they also have a compromised healing ability. Um, and so then that will then increase the the risk of infection, which then potentially can lead to to amputation, um, which is the the kind of um, uh, the the end stage complication that can can result from that. Mm. And there's probably a lot of you don't realise that you know I talk a lot on here about um, movement based um, foot health and you know muscles tendons, but a big part of what we do as podiatrists is uh, you know, look after and help manage diabetic complications as well. Um, and a big part of that is dealing with, you know, pressure areas and uh, wound healing. So once that's kind of flagged and, and they end up in, in your rooms, is there a way of revascularizing 
um, the lower limb to help heal these wounds or is it more of a lifestyle change? Like what is it that can be done, um, I guess, from your end when these complications, you know, really start um, becoming a problem? Yeah, so that's a good question. So often when I see a patient, uh, you usually don't see, I usually don't see a patient until, until they're basically they've developed that ulcer, so they've developed that complication. And so it's a matter of us then trying to heal that ulcer, get them out of trouble. So whether that be improving the blood supply, um, because often the patients uh, present because they've got poor glycemic control or poorly controlled diabetes or they haven't been, um, you know, they haven't seen a podiatrist. Often we see them because they haven't seen a podiatrist before. They don't know about these potential complications. So when we do see them, they are at that, that stage where they've got that ulceration, potentially have that um, quite nasty infection. And so we essentially, uh, first put of course, to get them out of trouble by um, controlling their infection. Um, and then uh, once we can control the infection and once we're happy that there's not a deeper infection, then it's a matter of doing procedures that improve the blood supply. Uh, by by uh, far and wide, the most common procedure we do is a procedure called an angioplasty, uh, where we can do these procedures under local anaesthetic with the patient awake. So uh, from, regardless of their uh, other health uh, other health factors that they may have, um, most patients can tolerate these procedures because they're minimally invasive. And then what we essentially do is we get a wire through the artery, um, through, through the blockage, and then we put a balloon or a stent in that artery to improve the blood supply, so that more blood can get to the ulcer. And 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 then we and then once we get the patient out of trouble, get them out of there, infect, clear the infection, and heal the ulcer, then essentially it's the podiatrist who is the most important uh, person at this. Uh, after that is all settled, because you know essentially you guys are the ones um, that are going to um, help the patient to prevent further ulceration and that's going to be with 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 good foot care with good um, foot management um, with proper orthotics and proper proper fitting shoe shoes um, so that so that the ulcer uh, won't occur again um, because yeah, it's pre- absolutely preventative care is 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 much better than um, yeah then I guess proactive care is much better than reactive care so you mentioned like on that you know, proactive care, you mentioned you don't really see these clients until um, there is an ulcer at play. Um, you know, should we be sending like people earlier to have these angioplasties before like a breakdown in um, like in wounds, or is that something that doesn't really happen? Like how? Yeah, so it's a good question. So. Um... I have a I have a very low threshold, and I'm I like to get on top of things early. Um, so, any diabetic patient that has an ulcer, I believe, should be reviewed by a vascular surgeon. Not all patients will necessarily require any surgical intervention, but I think it's um, and because the, I guess uh, with um, when when a patient. Uh, does get an ulcer, particularly for a diabetic patient, because of the consequences are so significant. Um, you want to first of all catch them early, and secondly, it may just be the tip of the iceberg. So something like as simple as an ulcer may hide underlying infection. And so, I'll, 
I will um, have a low threshold for doing investigations such as X-rays of the foot, MRIs to make sure there's not a deep deep ulceration, and also um, uh, and also do the relevant imaging to make sure that there's no significant uh, blood supply issues. Mm. Um, so, so in my opinion, I think any diabetic, particularly diabetic patient who has an, as a, as an ulcer, and particularly an ulcer that is slow to heal, so an ulcer that hasn't healed after four to six weeks, most definitely should, should be reviewed by a vascular surgeon, in my opinion. And it blows me away, like, even people without diabetes, you know, will see high-risk feet. Um, with people that we know have reduced circulation. Um, and, I mean, as a podiatrist, it's, you know, we don't really refer to you guys. We'll send a letter to the GP to then um, refer. But it blows me away at how many people don't get sent to you guys um, who have, yeah, you know, you can we'll do Doppler testing. We'll see they've got reduced circulation. And it's almost like a waiting game of just playing it out until something breaks down and then send off to the vascular surgeon. Um, yeah. You know, I wish there was a, a step before that where they could be sent to you guys um, to be tested and, and given advice and, and monitored before that ulcer occurs because, yeah, like you said before, you know, they can be really hard to heal. Um, there's a lot of complications that can come out of ulcers with infections and you know, cellulitis and all sorts of things. So... Yeah, it's a shame that we can't be even more proactive, but, you know, I guess everything has its limitations, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is It is hard and it's um, – I remember when I first started in the area, I, I did do a lot of GP visits to to, this, to, to talk about, uh, I guess, my role in, the, in, in healthcare and how I can uh, – um, what, what, what service I can offer. And it was surprising to see – uh, or to come across a lot of GPs that have, have been managing kind of ulcers or foot ulcers for a long period of time without the ulcer not healing, and then when I mentioned to them, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy for you to refer this patient. They were like, oh, really? You, you interested in ulcers? And I said, absolutely. So, so um, yeah. So obviously, it's um, it's it's definitely a very common response I get that um, that uh, you know that. That uh, a lot of yeah health health healthcare workers, allied healthcare workers, uh, uh, medical other medical practitioners, um, actually uh, are surprised when, when I actually tell them that I am am interested in ulcers. I am have a, have a very interest in in, in, in in the foot, and and obviously because of um, uh, of the high risk, to, uh, and I mean for, I mean in my opinion, I I, I do have. Um, I do see the the long term benefits because, I mean, with uh, I mean with the associated, I mean we you know we use our, our feet all day, we use our our legs all day. It just requires, you know, it, it it's it, it can if we if we we lose our toes and we lose our our feet and we can't walk, I mean that's a massive massive burden on the healthcare system and that's a, a significant um, uh, morbidity for the patient and so. Um, and so I find it very, very fulfilling, and I find it very satisfying when I'm able to to help help a patient heal their ulcer and able to get the patient's function back to some normality. Um, because um, you know that is my passion, and it's uh, it, it, you know we we can all provide, and it's it's a very um, and and you know I, I don't see my role as, as very significant. I see 
um, that it's a very multi multi prong attack. Um, podiatrists are, are vital. Medical practitioners are vital. Um, uh, endocrinologists are vital. Infectious diseases are vital. So we have all these people uh, that that can all contribute to the one patient to get them back on on their feet, get them back. Uh, Know, to a uh, kind of um, a normal functioning life and, and I find that very satisfying and I find that uh, if I can you know put my part in and we can, we all work together uh, we, we, we can achieve, achieve some pretty remarkable results so yeah, well, the so that's that. be only better right like it only makes sense you know like if there's reduced circulation that's not letting that ulcer heal or potentially making that tissue you know die more mm. like you need to be helping the situation. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> common sense. Absolutely. So, you know, I hope, you know, anyone out there who deals with pe- people with diabetes or um, may have diabetes and be going through something like this um, at the moment, like, yeah, don't forget vascular um, surgeons. Like, they're, they're a huge part of this puzzle. Um, and hopefully that's a, a bit of a takeaway that you can, you know, take from Dr. Tam just then, like, just how important that is and, and like you just said, there's some simple things that can be done, um, you know, low invasive procedures to help. Um, in some cases, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a vascular surgeon. I'm just, <laughs> but, <laughs> but for some of you, yeah, there'll be low invasive things that can really help um, improve some of these wounds or you know those lower limb circulatory issues. So, you know, I'm yeah, that just clicked a few things for me actually. And there's going to be a few clients that I currently have who. Um, I'm going to be pushing a little bit harder to, to come and see you for sure. That I've mentioned yeah. in the past to them, you know, that that you know should be an option. But to this point, that hasn't happened. The GP's kind of been palming it and managing still. And, and not to say that's a bad thing, but, mm. yeah, just that's really highlighted that there's definitely a few that have come to mind straight away that they'll need to really just get back in their ear and, and try and prevent things getting worse by, by hopefully coming and seeing you. And I, 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 you know, I think if we we, we can take one point out, out of this, it's that, you know, things can can be really, really done. We can really, uh, you know, the way uh, modern technology and the way vascular surgery is advanced, we can really do a lot of simple, non-invasive things to improve the vascular supply. So first of all, if a patient has an ulcer, um, you know, very very simply, we can do non-invasive test to find out whether their blood supply is compromised or not and this is in the form of an ultrasound mm. uh, and also some pressure studies so very non-invasive they you know the, the test takes about you know 15 minutes to half an hour um, there's this there's nothing invasive about the procedure it's an ultrasound probe looking at the blood supply um, uh, looking at the to see if there's any blockages and then from then uh, if they do require a procedure, as I mentioned before, you know, and, and like you said, Paul, it is as simple as a needle through the artery and then putting a balloon procedure, you know, on average probably takes, you know, from 30 minutes to an hour, done as a day case. They don't need a general anaesthetic in their home that day. So, um, you know, I back, back, back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds too easy. <laughs> Oh, look, yeah, I mean, it's definitely come a long way and it's definitely made our, our jobs a lot easier from, you know, uh, from back in the day where a lot of these operations were big operations, general anaesthetics, high risk, big bypass, open bypass surgery, 
patients would be in hospitals for for up to up to two weeks and then you know that's just being in hospital then there's the recovery stage as well which is quite prolonged so so um so i can definitely understand patients are kind of avoiding avoiding the vascular surgeon in the past but but uh, rest assured we've definitely uh, we've definitely come a long way i still hear that actually i hear you know clients that uh, may have been referred to a vascular surgeon and you know, they'll be talking to me about it just you know in a in the clinic and and it can be quite apprehensive about you know things they've heard or yeah you know is it going to result in um yeah major you know major surgery and for nearly all of them when they come back in they've almost forgotten about the procedure I'm like oh how'd you go <laughs> remember last time you were you know freaking out about seeing the vascular oh that oh yeah no they just you know did X, Y, and Z, and no, it was nothing. That's <laughs> <It's like, laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes they'll even say to me, like, uh, did you even do anything to build up? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just changing gears a bit, for people, you know, who may not have diabetes, who uh, may be fairly healthy, like the vascular system still you know, quite important, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, even though I've, I've spoken about a lot about uh, the arterial circulation, um, we do we do also specialise in the venous circulation. So, when blood when arteries take blood to a specific organ, the blood needs to come back to the heart as well, and that's from the veins. So, um, so and that's why movement is so important because even though, particularly for our legs, we have muscles throughout our legs, and so. And because we're people that's, you know, we're not cats and dogs, we, we stand all day. And so due to gravity, blood does tend to, you know, if we were to, if we didn't move, we'd have a lot of, our legs would, and we measured our legs. And at the end of the day, they would be a lot more swollen than they would be at the start of the day if we didn't move. And so muscle pump action is very important to get that flow out of your legs and, and through and back to your heart. Yeah. It's like a, yeah, a circuit, really. And so... Um, and so that's why I think movement is very important because, um, you know, we don't want our legs to, to swell and then that can cause problems as well. If, um, you know, if I, if you went to, to a, say, for instance, for a, to a nursing home where patients generally aren't mobile and you looked at their legs and, you know, they, these patients are often at higher risk of, of ulcers as well through having poor circulation, through not moving, not having their Calf, not having their muscles pumping their their blood through through the system, mm. um, so 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 I think that's also important that we 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 keep moving, we keep healthy, we keep maintaining our uh, vascular system that way. Um, so not only exercise is important, but also diet as well. We can maintain it as long you know we avoid a lot of uh, processed fatty fatty foods because that's also associated with uh, hardening or narrowing of the arteries as well of, of circulation. So, um, so, so those, 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 those two factors, diet, exercise, is very important for our circulation. So even though we don't have uh, the other risk factors that can cause arterial disease such as smoking or diabetes um, or high blood pressure, um, you know, it's still very important to to uh, maintain a healthy lifestyle, to keep our, our, our circulation in check. So with, you know, the vast majority of our population now being more sedentary, yes. do you think we'll start seeing more 
like issues with people who may not have any other complications, but just based on sitting more, like whether it's in offices, on the couch, um, you know, even schools to a certain extent, like we do sit a lot more than we probably ever have before. Is that going to affect our, our you know, vascular and arterial systems? So um, not only is this exercise and uh, is important for arterial circulation, we also forget about the venous circulation. So we need we need uh, flow running through our our, uh, our muscles, as I mentioned, back to the heart. And so, and with our sedentary lifestyle, absolutely, we if we're not circulation, the blood flow, our blood pooling can remain stagnant. That can uh, that can cause problems. And there is a a condition called deep vein thrombosis, which can occur particularly if we're not moving as often. And so uh, the other term they call is economy class syndrome. So typically see on, you know, long plane flights because we're not moving, our blood is being stagnant, it's being it's collecting in our, in our legs and that can predispose to blood clots. Mm. So, I mean, that's more a severe complication. So I'm yeah. not saying that every person that you know every office worker is going to get a dvt but it does increase the risk and so you just freaked everyone uh, sorry you yeah. just freaked everyone everyone that was sitting <laughs> no. this is now stood up and, and doing calf raises to try and get that blood pumping yeah <laughs> absolutely but we you know we do recommend it because you know if, you, if, it, it can, if we do um it can cause a lot of discomfort when we do pull uh fluid in our legs and so uh often you know, that I see people who have jobs where they aren't moving around that are standing on their feet all day, such as nurses and hairdressers and, and um, shop attendants, you know. Mm-hmm. Really, I would recommend wearing a stocking for them because um, how a stocking works is that it works as a calf pump. It pushes all the blood out of the legs and assists the blood flow out of the legs and back to the heart. Yeah, right. um, you know, and, um, and I often say, you know, as surgeons because – a lot of the time we are in theatres and we're, we're standing and, and operating. We're not, we're, we're, um, we're not promoting blood flow as well. So, you know, really get, we all should, any occupation uh, where we are, uh, when we're not moving, really would benefit from a, a compression stocking. Um, I don't own shares in any, any um, compression stockings, but maybe I should. Because, yeah, uh, I'll put the, that link that you sent me before, uh, Dr. Yeah. James compression stockings. <laughs> <laughs> but I still, I think I'd, I'd be a rich man because every second person I, I do see, I, I do definitely recommend stockings. And that's but in why saying that, um, as well, we were told to wear them on flights for the same reason. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and and I often get a lot of patients that do ask me, um, you know, what what they do, what they can do when they are in situations where they're on long haul flights or taking long drives and. Um, because I do see a lot of patients that do get complications, uh, such as DVT in these situations, and so I do recommend that they do wear a compression stocking, uh, keep hydrated, and, and make sure they are moving around, moving, moving around the cabin, or taking regular breaks on their long drives so that they can walk around um, and, and get the blood flow going and get their muscles contracting. So, um, so, the main so that's thing the, that that's would the be key. Like calf raises would be a Absolute, one really absolutely absolutely that blood around. Yep. So anything we the muscle contracts. Um, so any movement you do where you're contracting the muscle is going to be of benefit. Yeah. So that that does include calf races, absolutely. 
So realistically, for office workers, you know, if they can't get up through the day, even just sitting there and, and lifting the heels off the ground in a seated position would still get, you know, some of that blood pumping around. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yep. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. For people who, you know, are healthy or or may have, you know, other um, comorbidities, what are some of the symptoms we might start seeing if our like, vascular system isn't up to scratch? Yeah, so the other common condition we, we do see is a condition called intermittent claudication. So that's where patients get pain, uh, particularly in, in certain bit muscles in their legs, such as the, the buttock, the thigh, or the calf, depending on where the level of the blockage is. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it means is that they get the pain, and it's often a, a, an, an achy pain, and they get it, and it's called it's reprodu- what we call reproducible pain. So they can walk a certain distance and then they get the pain and then when they stop after 30 seconds to a minute, the pain goes away and then they walk again and then they get that same pain and they stop. So, so that's what, what we call claudication. So that's often a sign of poor blood supply and they get pain. And it depends on, on, on where the blockage is. So, so if, you've got, if they've got a blockage in their thigh, often they'll feel the pain in their calf. Likewise, if they've got a blockage higher up, they might feel it in the buttock or, or in the or in the thigh. Um, so that's um, often the uh, first presenting uh, complaint they get. The other symptom they can get when it starts to get really bad is where they get pain, particularly in the um, the extremities. So in the toes, often are the first uh, things affected, and this is pain where they get. Uh, they often get it at night, and the reason they get it at night because they have their legs up, and so the blood makes it more difficult for the blood to travel to their toes, and they often get it in their in their foot and toes at night time. So, but that's often a, a kind of um, a more severe uh, stage of, of of lack of blood supply. There is the group of patient uh, that will have uh, poor circulation, but have no symptoms or no 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 pain because um, the body. Um, you know, is remarkable, and we can often um, we can often develop channels to get blood to the necessary areas if if re- if required. Mm. Um, so so you can you can often get from a stage whereby there's no symptoms to end stage where where they get gangrene of the toes or gang where where there's dead tissue essentially. Mm. So I guess you know any sort of changes like coldness in the feet. Um, what numbness, yeah, that claudication, they're all going to be signs of, or a change in colour, um, could be signs that, that that vascular system is not up to scratch. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, so they can, can come in many, many signs, um, yeah, such as uh, coldness of the toes or discoloration. Mm. Um, yeah, all so. the early stages, right? And then you yes. claudication and, and other things from there on. Yeah, good. Look, good question. It's often it's difficult. I often, um, uh, you know, it, it can um, the the changes in the, in the toes can uh, can 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 signify early stage or late stage. Mm. Um, there are other things that can cause discoloration of the toes as well, yeah. not necessarily from lack of blood supply. Yeah. Um, uh, often, I, I do see a, uh, often patients called. Uh, they can get a Raynaud's phenomenon mm. uh, where they, their toes can can 
become more become white, become red, become blue, and that's uh, and that's more to do uh, with the environment. And so, when the when the weather's really cold, the, the smaller vessels in the peripheries or in the toes uh, or in the fingers is the other common spot can go into spasm. And so, um, and so you know, generally those those type of patients, I'm not, I'm not too worried. It's more it's probably more pain whereby whereby it's more significant of, of, a, of a kind of significant arterial uh, arterial uh, condition. So with Raynaud's, it's, I actually see quite a few people who have Raynaud's mm. phenomenon. Yes. Um, so that's something that you're born with as opposed to develop, is that right? Yeah, the more, the more common Raynaud's is uh, something that's what we call idiopathic, so no real particular no one cause, it's just one of those things that just happens. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Yeah, you often see them in in younger people, and uh, and something that just it, one of those phenomena that just happens. It, it, it's more a stimulus from the kind of the outside environment. There is a Raynaud's a condition, what we categorise as secondary Raynaud's, whereby it's related to a medical problem. But you often do see them uh, in in patients that are older, older uh, the older older cohort of patients. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's an interesting one, hey, because it's amazing how cold and white those toes can get. Yeah. But, yeah, there's nothing kind of essentially, like, wrong when they've, you know, been no. tested and tested. It's, it's bizarre. It is, it is. And uh, and I do see some a lot of patients uh, who are, are quite frightened and, 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 and think they're going to, you know, lose their, lose their toes or fingers and and, um, and most of the time uh, just, just some reassurance and, and some warm gloves is all they need. And, That's the main uh, thing, isn't it? It's trying to just keep an even temperature. Exactly, keeping warm, keeping away from, from the stimulus or the, the triggers that cause it. Yeah. Because um, um, it can, you know, can also be related to stress as well. Nice. Um, so, yeah, so just um, avoidance of those triggers. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Now, last couple of questions I had for you were around um, – like vascular issues and like tendons and, and we kind of touched on muscles, but if there is a reduced, you know, circulation to the lower limb, can that affect and stiffen up our tendons and muscles? Yeah, look, to be quite honest, I, um, the, the, it, it usually, it usually doesn't cause a long term, I suppose, uh, I, I think it can be a secondary consequence. I, I suppose if, because of the you know one of the biggest signs of our, our, our poor circulation is pain, yeah. And so um, and so if if patients aren't moving freely because they're restricted by pain, then that can be a consequence yeah. and cause a consequence of other things such as tendons and joints and muscles and and, and muscle wasting and things like that. I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say it's a d- direct consequence yeah. because you have to have really, really bad blood supply to the point where things are critical before they will have a, a structural or have a, a permanent damage um, to the muscles, to the tendons and to the nerves yeah. or the other structures of, of the um, of the leg because, um, because, um, because, you know, the body is a remarkable thing and and they it does compensate and will create channels mm. to keep the leg alive uh and so and to prevent long-term damage to those other other structures so it's 
mm. yeah, so I would have to say in most cases it wouldn't be a direct uh, a, a direct insult, maybe more likely a, a secondary I do see, you know, people who come to see me for um, you know, biomechanical like assessments, um, mm. and I've just sort of noticed that, yeah, some of the clients who have reduced circulation, but are also just really quite stiff, um, you know, through their muscles and joints. But it could be, yeah, like you said, the way they've been um, sort of compensating for pain. Um, it could even possibly, I'm thinking now. Um, like some of those patients do have diabetes, so it could be more like mm. a, um advanced glycation end products, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and I think with the uh, the diabetic foot, particularly um, with the biomechanics, I mean, there's uh, most of those kind of abnormal architectures are a result of peripheral neuropathy rather than a blood supply issue. So, yeah, okay. uh, so that's you know, I guess probably particularly with the diabetic. A patient with uh, that has peripheral neuropathy, um, their their architecture is um, a consequence of that. Yeah, uh, from the, uh, the the, I guess you know they've they've got the, the motor uh, neuropathy. They've got with the intrinsic muscle wasting that they get from that. They plus the insensate foot, uh, which uh, um, uh, which they uh, which can affect the the architecture there, um, and the the subluxation. And, and things like that. So, um, yeah. So that's probably more that consequence rather than uh, rather than a, a blood supply issue. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, I guess the key takeaway for me is that like our vascular system shouldn't, apart from pain, shouldn't really affect how we move all that much. But on the flip side, we need to be moving as much as we can to make sure our vascular system stays as healthy as possible. And that's also I also say one of the treatments I do recommend uh, patients uh, when they do have poor blood supply and they get pain, I tell them to keep walking and walk beyond the pain because often that question I get asked is, oh, if I'm getting pain, should that mean that I should be resting? Because most of the time, you know, you do. It is, and if you're getting pain, well, that's the body telling you that there's an insult going on and you need to need to stop. Whereas it's a bit different. It's uh, with with blood supply we actually tell patients to keep walking which that's that's an actual treatment because what that actually does is when you walk beyond the pain the body's saying i need more i'm getting pain and so i don't like this pain i need to create more more i need to get more blood to the area so i don't get this pain so what what actually happens is that um and with exercise programs you can actually treat blood supply so you can actually get a patient who's got severe disabling pain to a point where um, if they walk beyond the pain and they do exercise, graduated exercise programs, um, and I often see them three, six months down the track, they're like, oh, my pain's actually improved. I don't want any surgery. So um, so absolutely uh, that is a, a recognised treatment for, for, for lack of blood supply is, is exercise. And you won't cause damage. Won't cause, no, it won't cause damage. Won't cause damage. We'll uh, will improve things. Awesome. Mm. So it sounds like movement, <laughs> regardless of your <laughs> vascular system, is going to help anyway. So get out there and walk, move. You know, really feed that vascular system what it needs, which is movement. Get those calves and those other muscles contracting and pumping, and then hopefully you won't end up uh, in Doctor Tam's 
rooms needing uh, any of these treatments. But uh, absolutely, and and the other thing I want to stress, yeah, you know, with movement, you recruit more blood vessels and you avoid an operation. And you know, and and, and I want to stress that even though vascular surgery has come a long, long way. Um, and I always tell my patients this, is that um, if you can avoid surgery, you would, if you can avoid surgery or you have the option to avoid surgery, absolutely always take that option because, you know, even though we do have, we have come a long way and we can do put arteries and stents, um, uh, we can balloon and stent arteries. Your, uh, your artery, your, the arteries that, uh, that uh, you, were, you were born with, um, is always, you know, is always going to be much better than the artery that's been surgically operated on. <laughs> and that goes with most surgeries, right? Like even joints, you know. Absolutely. Kind of just assume, well, if I if I bust that joint, then they can always give me a new one. But they're never as good as the original thing. Absolutely. You should look after the original thing. <laughs> I guess, yeah, once it's at that point. Then you, and they don't last forever. And they don't last forever. They don't, but you know, yeah. the longer you can keep those original parts, you know, absolutely, well, you yeah. it's worth more, right? If it's original, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for um, for having a chat with us, uh, Tam. I've I've learned heaps. Um, I'm sure everyone listening in will have a whole new appreciation for their their vascular system and. And hopefully a little bit less fear if they, you know, do need help um, in that sort of surgical realm that, yeah, it has come a long way. You're not going to be uh, you know, as invasive as it, as it used to be. So that's also comforting. Now, where can people find you? If, you know, if people, especially down here in the Illawarra, are looking for a good vascular surgeon, where can, um, where can we find you? Yeah, um, so um, so I work at Wollongong. I operate at Wollongong Public and Wollongong Private Hospitals. I have rooms in um, uh, on level one fifty one Crown Street. So apparently, patients tell me it's the old Oxford Hotel. So okay. it uh, was a, a famous pub uh, in um, in Wollongong for for many years. So we've uh, we've moved into the, in, into that area. So, uh, Perfect. <laughs> yeah. so yeah, there, and um, I also consult uh, in Nara. So I go down to Nara uh, three times a month, and I'm I see patients out of uh, Forty Seven Junction Street, so next to the, the family medical um, practice there. So um, yeah, so um, so no, I'm, um, obviously I'm uh, yeah very uh, very happy, happy to. To have a chat with you and uh, today, and uh, yeah, um, if you if you learned something from me today, then then it was it was definitely all worth it. But uh, sure, yeah, but, I, know um, I have, and I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure people will learn, um, you know, stuff from this from this um, from this chat. Um, I'll put the link in the bottom to um, where Dr. Tam works as well. If you want to, uh, yeah, look into. Uh, seeing Dr. Tam or having a look at his bio or, or anything, I'll put the link in there so you can have a, a look there. Um, Appreciate yeah, it. I'm, I'm sure you guys would have taken you know, a bunch away from this. You know, It's, it's a system that I kind of often um, forget about in myself, um, but it is one that you know I do see, unfortunately, some of the, you know, the, the negative effects that having a 
poor vascular system can have, especially with some of the older um, clients who may have diabetes. So it's constantly a reminder to me that I should be looking after my vascular system and, you know, like Dr. Tam said, trying to uh, keep on my original parts and, you know, keep them as healthy as possible. But for me, this was a huge, you know, huge wake-up call and reminder of, you know, some of the simple things that we can be doing to to ensure that system does stay healthy. So through, you know, good diet, um, regular movement, um, can be really simple things. If you're standing a lot, you know, maybe have a look into um, the stockings that Dr. Tam was talking about or, or have a chat to your doctor or um, or Dr. Tam about whether that's, <laughs> whether that's right for you. But there's definitely um, a lot of takeaways in, in that, so I really appreciate it. All right, thanks again, Dr. Tam. Thanks. Thanks, mate. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.